0: Our next speaker uh, is Brian Chauvers, and he's going to be speaking on the rise and fall of corporate sawmills in Montana. Brian is the retired manager of the Montana Historical Society's Research Center and has published many articles in Montana, the magazine of Western history. His research is focused on Montana's industrial and cultural history. He currently serves as president of the Montana chapter of the Society for Industrial Archaeology, he has a B.A. in history from San Francisco State University, an M.A. in history from Montana State University, and a Master's of Library Science from the University of Wisconsin. Right. Thank you. So the rise and fall of corporate milling, whoops. How do I get this thing back? What do you want to do? Oh, yeah, this is the slide that's on the screen. This is just a preview in case you want to know what the next one is. New fancy uh, monitors. The rise and fall of corporate milling of lumber followed the historical trajectory of the state of the state, is that good? Um, From the territorial period through statehood and on into the 20th century. The story begins with the discovery of placer gold at Bannock in 1862, which led to the establishment of Montana Territory in 1864, followed by the discovery of silver in 1866 at Argenta and copper mining in Butte in the early 1880s. The next critical industrial development was the arrival of the Utah Northern Railroad to Montana in 1880, followed by the Northern Pacific Railroad in September of 1883. Railroads created the first national market for industrial products like steel, copper, and lumber, transforming the agrarian nation into an industrial one. Wood products would become an important part of this equation. A critical element of Montana's expanding timber industry in the 1880s would be its connection to transcontinental railroads. In 1888, entrepreneurs Jay Gould and Sidney Dillon punched the Utah Northern Railroad north 110 miles into southwestern Montana from Idaho and by December 1881 in Butte. Two years later, in September 1883, Frederick Billings completed the, driven, or the Northern Pacific Rail line from Minneapolis to Portland. On September 8th, the last bike was driven at Gold Creek, Montana, west of Helena. Construction of the Morent Gulch trestle, the world's largest wooden structure, was completed by the Northern Pacific in 1883. The trestle gained notice, re- reaching a height of 1,226 feet and consuming 800,000 feet of lumber to build. These railroads could not be constructed without rail ties and Montana sawmills, and tie hacks responded. In 1884, James J. Hill began construction. Construction of the Great Northern Railroad, the transcontinental um, line connecting St. Paul, Minnesota uh, with Seattle. It arrived in Butte in 1889 and which helped establish Butte as North America's capital of copper mining, boosting the new state's demand for lumber. The key to understanding the dynamics of the timber industry over the past two centuries is tied to the analysis of two prominent Montana capitalists, Anton Holter and Andrew Hammond. So this is the trestle. Yeah. Anton Holter, let's see, the discovery of gold in Last Chance Gulch in 1864 would lead to the construction of one of Montana's first sawmills at the mouth of Colorado Creek in April 1865 by a Norwegian immigrant, Anton Holter. Holter's fortitude and determination in over six decades in the lumber industry was demonstrated early on when he was shot by George Ives, a notorious outlaw, traveling from Bevan's Gulch to Virginia City to obtain parts for his new sawmill. Holter's strength and determination was demonstrated again and again in his work to meet the lumber needs of struggling placer miners. In 1863, Holter and Evanson transported the territory's first sawmill to Madison County from Denver, Colorado, a distance of 1,000 miles. One year later, the mill garnered $140 per 1,000 board feet. By April of 1865, Holter operated a mill on Colorado Creek, eight miles southwest of Helena. That same year, Holter established the company A.M. Holter & Brothers. Each day, Holter commuted between Virginia City and Helena by horseback, rising at 2 a.m. to be at work by 6 a.m. By 1867, Holter purchased a shingle and lath machine, as well as a door and sash machinery from St. Louis. In in 1869, Holter erected a new mill on Spring Creek near Jefferson City. By 1870, Holter was operating mills at Wolf Creek, Skelly Gulch, Buffalo Creek, Dutchman, and Stickney Creek. Fire was always an issue in early Montana sawmills, and Holter's sash and door mill succumbed to fire in October of 1879. That did not deter Holter. By 1886, the Holter Lumber Company had seven lumber yards scattered across southwestern Montana. In 1888, A.M. Holter brothers joined Thompson Lumber to create uh, Montana Lumber and Manufacturing Company. Almost, after almost four decades in the lumber business, Holter gladly exited the business in 1898, selling all of his interests to the copper baron Marcus Daly. Holter was not alone in following the gold, silver, and copper miners in providing needed lumber for these industries. As of 1869, Montana Mills saw 13 million board feet of lumber, and by 1900, over 200 million board feet. That number more than doubled by 1923 to 427 million board feet, and during the housing boom after World War II, that number peaked at 598 million board feet. Holter's efforts were matched by another Montana timber baron, Andrew Hammond. Hammond was born in New Brunswick uh, to a sawmilling family in 1848, and at the age of 16 went to work in a main logging camp, working 14 hours a day. In 1867, the Hammond brothers took a steamboat to Fort Benton to seek work in the Montana gold fields, but ended up cutting cordwood for the steamboats. By 1871, with steamboat demand for wood shrinking, Hammond headed for the Cedar Creek Mining District. But too late for the gold, Hammond made his way to Hellgate and took a job as a clerk with E.L. Bonner, D.J. Welch, and Richard Eddy. In July of 1876, he became a partner in the enterprise to be known as Eddie Hammond Company, a Missoula mercantile. By 1900, the Missoula Merck was the largest mercantile between Minneapolis and Seattle. In 1881, the company acquired a huge contract with the Northern Pacific Railroad for 21 million board feet of lumber to build tunnels, bridges, and trestles and to meet demand for rail ties. The Northern Pacific received the largest land grant in American history, which included 14.7 million acres in Montana. By May of 1882, the Hammond Enterprise operated five sawmills along the Blackfoot River east of Missoula, producing 20,000 board feet of lumber per day. Hammond was a transformational character, transforming virgin old-growth forests into tree farms. This process forever altered the American landscape and the way of life. In the end, the Hammond Lumber Company owned timberlands, sawmills, sash and door factories, railroads, shipping lines, and both wholesale and retail outlets. With the arrival of the Transcontinental Railroad, Montana's population jumped from 20,500 in 1870 to 132,000 in 1890, creating a huge demand for lumber. Montana's population would affect the timber industry over time. During that same period, the number of sawmills went from 42 to 100. The Montana Im- Improvement Company built the first sawmill in Bonner, the Big Blackfoot Mill, in 1886. And by 1890, they produced 240,000 feet, board feet per day, the largest mill between Wisconsin and Oregon. In 1898, the Copper Giant Anaconda ACM purchased the Big Blackfoot Milling Company in Bonner from A.B. Hammond and also acquired 700,000 acres of timberland from the northern Pacific Railroad. By 1910 AMC had acquired a total of 1.1 million acres of Montana timberland. Another early mill in Bonner was operated by Stimson Lumber beginning in 1886 and purchased by Champion in 1897. The next three decades saw an enormous increase in lumber production. Between 1900 and 1920 annual production doubled from about 220 million board feet to 400 million board feet. One of the key players in this story was Minnesota entrepreneur Julius Niels. He incorporated the J. Niels Lumber Company in Sauk Rapids, Minnesota in March of 1895. In 1906, he began acquiring ACM Timberlands in Flathead County. In 1910, J. Niels acquired the Dawson Lumber Company in Libby, Montana. In order to meet the challenges of the Depression, Niels built a small box plant. Niels died in 1933, but the Niels family continued to operate mills in northwestern Montana, <coughs> producing grain doors and poles and posts. In 1957, J. Neils Company merged with St. Regis Paper Company. Part of their success could be attributed to selective logging. Three other mills opened in Libby during this period, Dawson Lumber Company in 1906, Libby Lumber Company in 1914 and Eureka Lumber in uh, 1906. Expansion of the Montana industry ended in 1932 with the beginning of a national economic depression. During the depression, the annual production dropped to a little more than 100 million board feet, but with the end of World War II, the demand for housing soared, and by 1948, production of lumber reached a a new peak of 598 million board feet. In 1946, D.C. Durham opened a sawmill in Columbia Falls he named Plum Creek after a waterway in Minnesota. The company gained notoriety as the second largest owner of private timberlands in the United States with 7.9 million acres. In 1965, a plywood mill was added. During the 1960s, six plywood mills were opened in Bonner, Columbia Falls, Libby, and Missoula. The uptick in milling created an enormous byproduct of uh, sawdust and wood chips. In 1957, a joint uh, venture between Waldorf Paper Products and Horner Boxes built a mill to transform 4,000 tons of chips and sawdust into 250 tons of pulp daily and 1,000 tons of craft liner board. The 170 employees doubled milk capacity in three years. By 1968, they employed 438 workers. In 1969, Evans product products of Portland, Oregon constructed the nation's largest, largest particle build plant in Mont in Missoula. The post-war boom continued into the 1970s. Production peaked in 1978 with 13,494 workers. Statewide, with the nine largest mills producing 98% of the state's lumber. The boom was largely associated with a variety of new products like plywood, paper, and particle board. By 1972, Plum Creek Lumber operated two sawmills and a plywood plant at Columbia Falls, employing 600 workers in a community of 2,600 people. The use of particle board consumption was increasing at an annual rate of 20%. In 1972, Anaconda sold its Bolt Bonner Mill and Timberlands to U.S. Plywood, and two years later they became Champion International. In 1993, Champion sold its 867,000 acres of timberland to Plum Creek and its mill to Oregon-based Stimson Lumber. With the end of World War II and the accompanying building boom in the 1950s and 60s, and the subsequent depletion of private forest lands in Montana came in an increased demand for access to federal forest lands in Montana. In 1941 the Bitterroot National Forest adopted a plan for annual sustained yield of Ponderosa Pine in the forest of 7.5 million board feet. That level of cutting continued uh, to expand um, all of Montana National Forests. In 1968, Montana Senator Lee Metcalf asked Arnold Boley, Dean of the University of Wisconsin Forestry School, to form a committee to investigate forest service practices in the Bitterroot and report back to Congress. After months of research, the Boley committee published its report and presented Senator Metcalf with a copy. The report describes the problem in detail. I quote: "The problem arises from public dissatisfaction with the Bitterroot National Forest, overriding concern for saw timber, um, for saw timber production. It is compounded by an apparent insensitivity to re- the related forest uses and to the po- local public's interest in environmental values." End of quote. The impact of the Baldy report on logging in Montana's national forests was devastating to corporate sawmills in Montana. At the same time, the producers faced cheap Canadian lumber imports, South American imports, a volatile global commodity market, and economic recession. Back in 1961, the Beirut National Forest sold 1.2 billion feet of timber, by, and by the year 2000, that number had slipped to 114 million feet. Between 1990 and 2010, 28 major mills closed. Severing employment for 2,676 workers. Missoula lost 378 workers, and the closure of the two closure of the two Bonner mills in 2007-2008 meant unemployment for 442 workers. The closure of the two mills in Libby, Champion International and Louisiana Pacific, uh, meant the loss of 240 jobs. In 2002, Stimson Lumber closed its plywood plant in Libby, and five years later, its plywood plant, uh, plywood mill in Bonner, making for a total loss of 636 jobs. In 2008, Plum Creek Timber closed its ply mill, uh, plywood mill in Kalispell, and one year later, its mill in Pablo. However, the largest loss of jobs can be attributed to the closure of Smurfit Stone Paper Mill in Frenchtown. Putting 417 worker employees out of work, the closure of these corporate mills would have a devastating impact on local economies. The survivors are mounting a small, locally owned sawmills like Marks Lumber uh, and Clancy. Whoops, there's Marks Lumber and Clancy. RY Timber in Livingston and Pyramid Lumber in Sealy Lake, which followed the practices of sustained yield. Sustained yield requires selective logging, giving young trees the ability to mature and replant it as necessary. All of these mills are important employers in these communities and will continue to thrive as long as federal timber is available. Thank you.